Welcome to Point Crawl. I'm your host, Connor Seitz Bowen. Point Crawl approaches conversation like role-playing games approach adventures, a series of landmarks to explore and find meaning in. Today's Point Crawl starts at the Container Yard. Listening Notes Today's episode is all about refrigerated intermodal containers, which are a special kind of intermodal container that has insulation and which also has either an electric or a diesel-based refrigeration unit which blows cold air through the entire container and keeps the whole container at either freezing temperatures or cool temperatures. Refrigerated containers are part of what's called the cold chain, which is a general term for all climate-controlled or temperature-controlled logistic efforts throughout the world. The cold chain is something that you talk about in pharmaceuticals when it comes to transporting medicines that have to say at a certain temperature or below. It's something that you talk about when talking about produce, especially, uh, and also frozen foods. It's important for food safety. It's also important for texture, flavor, taste. If you're going to refrigerate produce, you want that refrigeration to be consistent. It's not just in your supermarket where the produce stays refrigerated. It's not just in your refrigerator where it stays refrigerated. That produce has been refrigerated pretty much since from when it left the field until it gets to you. So inside of warehouses, it's kept in climate-controlled coolers on the backs of trucks. Those trucks are running what are called reefer units in the business, and inside of shipping containers as they transit from country to country, those produce items, bananas in the middle of winter, strawberries coming from Latin America north, those are inside of refrigerated containers. I was bicycling through the waterfront, which is the mall, and at the back of the shops behind Lowe's and Giant Eagle, Mervyn's and the shoe warehouse, there's a long, almost road that is connected to all of the loading docks of those places, parallels a set of train tracks. As I was bicycling along those train tracks, I was coming alongside a train, and we actually matched speeds because the train was slowing down, going across the river on a train bridge that has a speed limit. I was able to match speed with this train. I could hear just the refrigerator noise coming from a refrigerated container. And so I was able to pull out my phone and very quickly capture a recording of that refrigerator unit running. That refrigerator unit runs for 30, 50 days at a time. It runs for thousands of miles, keeping your produce cold or your seafood cold, frozen even, as it transits the world and heads to your door and eventually into your stomach. So here's that sound. Reefer. thousand pounds of bananas. 
I like to keep track of songs that mention specific places in Pennsylvania. One of those places is Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is mentioned in a song called 30,000 Pounds of Bananas, which is a folk song by Harry Chapin. The song describes an actual incident which occurred on March 18th of 1965, where a truck driver who was on his way to Scranton with a load of bananas came down a particularly steep hill, a section of Route 307, and uh, his brake system failed, and the truck crashed and spilled the driver and also 30,000 pounds of bananas out onto the roadway. The song makes a pretty distinct point about it being 30,000 pounds of bananas and mentions this over and over again as context for the accident and its severity. 30,000 pounds of bananas is a completely normal amount of bananas to be transporting by truck or by container. 30,000 pounds of bananas works out to be 20 pallets of 1,500 pounds of bananas each, and that's quite reasonable. We can actually find out a little bit more about what could be in this container. Uh, the container, I took a photo of it, and with this photo, I was able to try to figure out what the container number was and look the container up on the web. Tracing this container. Self-correcting numbers. I managed to take a picture of this container, this Maersk container with the uh, refrigeration unit. On the side of it, there's one set of numbers 45R1. That refers to it being a 40-foot-long container with a 9-foot, 6-tall ceiling, which makes it a high-cube container. And it's R1, which means it's a refrigeration unit of the first type. There are a couple of different R types, R1, R2, R3, etc. The other numbers that are on the side of the container that let you try to figure out what it is are what are called ISO 6346 identification number, which consists of a three-digit owner code to register with the Bureau International de Containers in Paris to ensure that your fleet of containers has its own numbers separate from everybody else's containers. The fourth digit, which is the second thing uh, after the three-digit owner code, the fourth digit is the category identifier. U means it's a container. Z means it's some form of container handling equipment, such as a well car or a chassis or a trailer. And then uh, J is occasionally used for container-related equipment that's uh, detachable after that, there's a six-digit serial number, and after that, there's a seventh check digit. The check digit is calculated based on a substitution calculation, where you take the three-digit owner code, the one-digit category ID, and the six-digit serial number, and you add them all together and do some rounding, and you end up with a single-digit check digit that goes from zero to nine. Most container software automatically keeps track of whether the check digit makes sense with the other digits, and if you've typed it in wrong, then it'll flag that as not a real number, and it'll make sure that you type it in right. Uh, in our case, the container actually was missing a number. A number had fallen off of the container side, and so uh, we really did need to use the check digit to figure out what the container was. The numbers listed on the side were MNBU0, and then a blank spot, and then 4481, and then the check digit was 9. And after doing the substitutions of adding a 9, an 8, a 7, all the way down to 1 and 0, 
turns out that there was a 1 that was missing, so the full container number, all 11 digits, is MNBU 0144819. We'll talk about that in a second. Tracing the container, looking up the container. The owner code for the MERS container we were looking at is MNB. So if you go to bic-code.org, that's the Bureau Internationale de Containers, and they have a registry of all of the owner codes for every container in the world. So searching MNB, and it puts the U in automatically, the search button, and it brings up that the company that matches that code is the Merskline out of Copenhagen, Denmark. They have a website, merskline.com. Uh, if I click on that, the first thing on the page, it just says track shipment, and you can write down shipment, or B slash L, which stands for bill of lading, which is a special kind of document that happens in transportation, or container number. So we can actually put the container number right in. The report is here. And it's not quite in real time, so it actually lists the previous trip that this container took, which ended in Chicago. It doesn't list the Chicago transit that it was doing at the time that I was bicycling right next to it and recorded its noise. But we're going to talk about that previous trip that it was taking. The container's previous trip started in Vishagapatnam, which is a city in India. It's the fifth largest port in India, and it's the home of a pretty large naval base. It's called the jewel of the east coast of India. It's a huge exporter of seafood. It started there on April 21st, 2018. It spent 45 hours under port power. It got loaded onto a boat, the Jaimen, voyage number 008W. It spent 121 hours running off of uh, the bunker fuel within that ship. When containers are on ships, they have electric power. They actually plug that container right into the ship power and then the ship uses some of the power from the engine. They run an electric generator that runs both the lights and the equipment within the ship and also runs all of the refrigerator units on all of the cargo containers. It ended up back on port power at the uh, Colombo terminal in Sri Lanka. It was there for 49 hours. And then it took its longest trip on the APL Danube. That was 524 hours. It went from Sri Lanka to Newark, New Jersey probably went through the Panama Canal, but it could have actually gone south around the tip of South America. It was in Newark on uh, port power. On port power, uh, typically the port just has big civilian power lines coming in from the regular power grid and plugs containers in while they're sitting in the yard. Finally got loaded onto a train. It spent just a hundred hours going from Newark, New Jersey out to Chicago probably right through the Pittsburgh corridor, so we saw that container on its trip out a couple days before. After it was in Chicago, it turned around and got loaded up with some other refrigerated stuff, sent right on back out to the coast. I don't quite know what could be in the box right now, but it's probably carrying seafood from India on its trip out to Chicago. In total, it ran for 900 hours during that trip. Uh, if you do the math on all of that, it actually ends up being pretty cheap. It, it's about $300. It's $278.21, uh, assuming you're keeping it in constant temperature mode instead of trying to drive the temperature down the whole time. You can run that for 37 days. 
that kind of electric power. If you were to put it onto the back of a tractor-trailer truck and run it straight off of the diesel fuel, which is the other mode that many of these refrigerated containers can run off of, accepting diesel fuel and burning it and doing their whole electricity generation and refrigeration in one swoop, you could only run it for nine days instead of 37, that same price. When it comes to mileage, the container traveled 14,000 miles by ocean and another 800 by rail from Newark to Chicago. It might have traveled 17,000 miles by ocean if it had gone the long way around the tip of South America. Essentially every 50 miles of ocean voyage only costs one dollar to keep the seafood, the presumed seafood, cold for that entire trip. 50 miles for a dollar? That's awesome. That's great. A little bit of information about the music from this episode. The track is called Paranda. A paranda is a particular musical form that is performed by the Garifuna people of Honduras, who are a coastal people. They're a mixture of uh, Afro-Caribbean and indigenous folks and white folks. And they're a minority group within Honduras, and they pick a lot of bananas that have long been exported to the United States. Uh, Honduras and the infancy of that country, a capitalist colony of hundred United States corporations. Bananas became this huge export crop, and being able to ship them, especially cold, was a huge revolution in food technology that started in the 1940s and has continued to this day. And it's hard to talk about refrigerated containers without having to bring that conversation back to who it is affected by the use of these containers and our ability and desire to transport food thousands and thousands of miles from poor countries to rich ones.